This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, October, not October, September 9th, 2019 edition of Invest Talk. And, you know, we've all been watching the news of the trade war, what's going on in Hong Kong, uh, obviously the, the, the changes going on uh, in our political situation that really, uh, that really, ebb and flow uh, with every news cycle, it feels like. So, uh, you know, the market sells off one week, the next week it's up. And the big question is, what is next? And, and that's what we are here to help you with, is to help you understand what are the odds of the next thing happening, uh, whether that's uh, the market going up, a certain sector taking the lead, a certain asset class taking a lead, uh, what's happening with the political situation, not just here in America, but abroad as well, because geopolitical concerns continue to flare up throughout the world in many different respects. So there's a lot to talk about today and a lot of variables at play. So we definitely are here for you to give you some unbiased guidance. I'm Justin Klein. And I hope you will call me with your investing questions and when and if you make time for that call. You can take charge of today's program, or if you leave a message after hours, take charge of a future program, and you can shape it to your advantage in order to help you take that next step in financial freedom. And everyone's path is different, and we understand that, so we try to give you a lot of different types of information to cover a lot of different topics, help you understand kind of the broader world, investing world at large, And that ultimately should help you make the best decision for your particular path. So we do that each and every day on Invest Talk with a philosophy of independent thinking and shared success. This is not CNBC. I am not Kramer. You will not hear bells and whistles going off. Okay. So we are here to give you sound, down to earth advice. And today we're going to do our best to move you along your personal path of financial freedom. And here's a quick word about our upcoming KPP Wealth Conference. The name is Earning Yield in a No-Yield World, Investing in Real Estate, Stocks, and Bonds for Income. This will be an event held October 12th at our Irvine, California office. Steve and I will lead the conference and we'll be joined by a couple of real estate experts as well as a trust attorney as well. So you can register at investtalk.com. Now you can call with your questions. I I wanna help you make the right decision, the next right decision in your financial path. So give me a call, 888-99-CHART. Our listener line is open right now. I urge you to make a call sooner rather than later. Now, our main talking point today concerns a story that President Trump has a plan to overhaul the housing finance system with more private sector involvement. Fannie and Freddie has been rumored for many years now to get an overhaul and change the way they do business and, and really try to avoid the situation that they ended up in in 2008, 2009, where they had to be bailed out and they were translated into a conservatorship, right? And basically the government's been owning them ever since and reaping the rewards of that, buying low, uh, and the cash flows from that business have have helped Treasury 
but is it something that the government should be involved in? Should the government be dictating housing financing flows and terms? Or should it be left up to the free market? Or is there somewhere in between? And it seems like this proposal is somewhere in between, which we're going to talk about here in a little bit. I also have some other topics. The trade war. Talk about it a lot, but it does have a pretty decent impact. But the big question is, what impact or what states do it in, does it impact the most, both in nominal terms as well as on a percentage basis? I think that's more interesting, the percentage basis terms, uh, because we all know certain states are, are bigger than others. They're going to be impacted more. They have more businesses, more spending, etc. But we're going to touch on that. Which states are getting hurt the most in relation to the trade war? And then next, the housing market. The housing market has been going up for a long time. I know a lot of people uh, are, are, have a vested interest on where their particular market is going, whether that's uh, that they're invested in or looking to invest, or maybe it's their personal residence, etc. Which areas of the country have the highest risk housing markets and which ones have the lowest risk housing markets? And I think it's something pretty interesting about the Bay Area, which we're going to get to here in a little bit. And then lastly, ETFs versus mutual funds and their tax efficiency. That's one of the benefits, touted benefits of ETFs over mutual funds is their tax efficiency. And for the most part, that's true. But the big question is, how much more tax efficient are ETFs versus mutual funds? We're hopefully going to get to that topic as well. So that's what's on my mind. That's what I'm going to touch on today. But ultimately, the most important topic is what is on your mind. What have you been pondering over the weekend? You know, we're in the last days of summer going into fall. You know, uh, this is a, a time of year where there's a lot of transition. Kids go back to school, etc. So you should probably start thinking about where the market is going to transition to as well. And today we had a pretty big transition you know, the overall indexes didn't really move a whole lot. Really didn't. Uh, we had a modest, modest up day. The NASDAQ was down slightly, about quarter of a percent. We had transportation up. We had small caps up. The S&P was up slightly, 0.04%. But what was most interesting about today was the dichotomy between growth stocks and value stocks. And for a long time now, and we've been talking about this, Growth stocks have simply driven the market. Uh, growth stocks have been what, what has gone up in a, in a world where money is loose, money is cheap, money flows into the growth names. The, I've talked about that. The discounted cash flow method is how you typically value any particular asset in the marketplace and low interest rates help those growth names more than, say, value names. And today was a very interesting dichotomy. And if you go over to Morningstar.com, that was that visualizes it for you in a very, very succinct, succinct way. Excuse me. And how it does that is it shows you the style boxes from large to small and growth to value. And what was really interesting, and I look at this almost every day. It's just a quick U.S. It's called the U.S. Barometer. It's six quadrants, right, from growth to value to large to small. And on the right side is growth, 
And all of those squares, all three of those squares were red. And the strongest red was actually the mid caps down 1.71% today. As opposed to the small cap value stocks were up 2.17%. I mean, you're talking about a nearly 4% difference in performance today, just in one particular day between mid cap growth and small cap value stocks. That is stark. I have never in my career seen a one day difference between two different style boxes on the Morningstar US Barometer Index. Okay, so now this is just one day, but typically when you see, I call this an impulsive day, where it was clear, concise, strong, and that's the only way that you can describe the difference between growth stocks and value stocks today. Value stocks did far better than growth stocks. Now, the big question is what is the catalyst? And you know, you could say it's some economic thing. I'm really just going to going to say it's WeWork. You know, WeWork was trying to go IPO with a 40 billion dollar valuation. They tried to cut it in half at 20 billion, couldn't even get it off at that, and now one of their big investors, SoftBank, is telling them to scrap the IPO, saying it's not worth it at these levels and you don't want to give yourself a bad reputation. I think they already have with you know what has been out there already, but you know it, it's kind of the poster child. You know, we've already had Uber and Lyft and uh, what's the work? W-O-R-K, I'm trying to remember the, the name of that company. It's uh, Slack, there we go, Slack. All of these IPOs have not done very well, and even before we work its IPO, it's not doing very well. So it's a good example of where we are in the IPO process or IPO cycle and the valuation cycle, and the fact that WeWork is probably going to fail in its IPO really, really is going to hurt a lot of these growth names in the marketplace. This is Invest Talk, and many of you might feel the urgent need to get your portfolio in shape. No need to panic. You are not in this alone. We are here for you at KPP Financial and Invest Talk. We want to help you reach your goal of financial freedom. And you can register for your no-cost portfolio review now at investtalk.com. Steve appointment dates in September in New York City are all full, but he added new dates for New York City on November 7th. And he'll be returning to San Jose on October 10th as well. You can register right now at investtalk.com. Now I'm taking your finance and investing questions live at 888-99-CHART. Twenty nineteen has already been an exciting time for investors. The economy is strong, the markets are doing well, and you could be too. Start by taking advantage of Stephen Justin's unbiased investing guidance. This is Invest Talk. Justin Klein is here now, taking your finance and investing questions live. Call eight 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 ninety nine chart. Hey, Justin or Steve. I'm calling from Houston, Texas. My name is Christian. I love the podcast. I had a question about my niece and nephew. The oldest one is six years old. I was wondering if there's any potential growth accounts I can open up for them or things I can buy them that can accumulate interest for their birthdays. I have done some research on bonds. I I just wanted to hear your opinion on the matter. I'd love to hear your answer on the show. Thanks. Bye-bye. Well, 
there's a lot of different uh, investments you can invest in to, to earn interest. It could be CDs. It could be some sort of bonds, like you said. Uh, they're young, so you probably want to be a little more aggressive. Maybe individual stocks that pay some sort of a dividend. That might be a, a good way to go. You can open up a, a 529 plan, and there are funds that are available within that, and that might be a good way to go if you're looking to save for college. It kind of depends. You know, is this money for college, or is this something just to help say help them save early for retirement or you know financial freedom down the line? So it depends really what your goals are. They're young, so you want to err on the side of more aggressive versus less aggressive. Uh, I would go with some dividend-paying stocks and probably something that they understand, right? I know they're six or they're you know they're they're re- relatively young, but you know time flies. In a few years, they're going to be old enough to to understand what these companies are, like an Apple, for example, and maybe the fact that they own shares in a particular company is going to spark interest in investing and saving and making money, right? And I think that's probably the way that I would go is open up uh, just a simple brokerage account uh, for benefit of them, right? And invest it in stocks and tell them, show them that it's theirs and update that regularly and get them in a stock or two or three that links some way to their life that they can truly understand and that's going to spark some interest for them thanks for the call great question i love it 8899 chart 8899242278 we're going to go to a quick break you're listening to invest talk i'm justin klein and you've been if you've been listening to invest talk for a while you probably heard me say that i believe every investor should determine their individual risk tolerance especially in today's market is your portfolio filled with growth stocks did it get crushed today a lot of cloud names did i know that so if you a lot of cloud names in your portfolio you probably didn't do very well so what type of risk do you have in your portfolio and does that match your personal risk tolerance you can take the free online tool at investtalk.com it's a questionnaire it takes two three minutes super quick and then we can analyze your portfolio and say are you too risky less risky not risky enough or maybe you're doing it just right and now I'm ready to take your questions live at 888 chart This is Invest Talk, the radio program and podcast dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom. You may be a regular listener. You may even have called a few times. But if you've never called, what are you waiting for? The phone lines are open, and Steve and Justin would love to hear your questions right now. Call 888-99-CHART. Eight 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 ninety nine chart 888 Let's take a quick look at some key benchmark numbers for today. The 10-year rose four basis points to 1.594%. So, uh, the 10-year has pushed up about 15 basis points over the last week or two. The two-year also up about 4.5 basis points to 1.565%. So still an op- upward sloping yield curve, but basically flat. I mean, it, it still continues to oscillate between inverted, flat, upward sloping, etc. The 30-year Treasury bond is now 2.069%. Still 
It sounds low, but much higher than a lot of the other rates in Europe and other developed markets. Now, have you heard Steve and I say many times, yield and debt prices move in opposite direction, right? So if yields are up, bond prices are down. Gold was down a little bit. Again, was at uh, 15.15 per ounce. Even though all the banks around the world, basically Japan, Switzerland, ECB, etc., are expanding their money supply by printing money. So gold is a natural hedge to that. And that's another reason why gold has done so well, is the market anticipating central banks worldwide to embark on more easing, on more money printing, on more QE. And that's what this signal is. That's what the signal of gold is telling you. Oil was up to 58.10 a barrel. That's a nice 3% gain. Once again, kind of that's on the value side of the spectrum. Talked about earlier, value outperformed growth and oil outperformed because of that. And, you know, maybe it's a sign that inflation is going to pick up more money printing, more, uh, you know, the dollar may be turning and dollar was a little weaker today. It does look like it's trying to turn down, uh, but just, you know, can't get any traction to the downside, mainly because a lot of other currencies are weaker. You know, the ECB meets on Thursday. They're likely to lower rates, do some sort of stimulus in order to lower the cost of capital, which, you know, as we've seen in Europe, doesn't really work that well. Uh, but that's just the situation that we're in. Bitcoin is at $10,300 an a, a coin and continues to consolidate around this 10000 mark. And to me, this is a bullish sign. As long as we're above 9000 on Bitcoin, Bitcoin likely is going to eventually break higher. I don't know exactly when, but that from a technical perspective is what it looks like. And, you know, I've done a lot more research here on Bitcoin and I'm, I'm going to start to give you a little bit more feedback on this because like I've said before, it's not going away. It's just how is it going to evolve? And that's what I've been trying to study is how is this thing going to evolve and help you understand how it's going to fit in your future. And it may not be Bitcoin, maybe something else, but cryptocurrencies are definitely here to stay. Let's go to Kandu in North Carolina. He's looking at Johnson & Johnson. Hello, Justin. How you doing? Um, yeah, doing good. So I wanted to ask about Johnson and Johnson. I keep uh, okay. hearing that this is a, this is a core holding of, I mean, most of the people. So what is the good price to get into this? And seems like it's pretty close to the 52-week low. So is it a good time? Is, it the, is this the bottom? Well, it, it, definitely, it definitely is near support, uh, but it just looks so weak on a chart. Uh, you know, we had a double top from a high in early 2018, kind of with the overall market. We double topped in October of last year, kind of like with the overall market. But even though the overall market made incremental new highs over the last few months, this is now near the lows of last year. And so technically it is very weak and I don't like that. That's, that's a poor place to start. Now it is on the large cap value side of the ledger, which I like better than the growth side. Uh, but overall it's not exactly, I don't call it cheap. Uh, while revenues are down year over year, 1% last quarter earnings were up, but you still need to see 
that revenue traction go the other way and it just continues to weaken pretty much every quarter for the last five or six quarters and that worries me a, a great deal so i think this will likely eventually break down just because of how weak the chart is and the big question is where does it go from there where does it find some major support and i'm gonna say I don't see any big, big support until 110. I would not touch this until 110. It looks very weak. It's trying to test the 50 week moving average, sorry, 50 month moving average. And it looks like it will break it from a MACD perspective. It continues to have divergence. It just looks very, very poor technically. And it's not undervalued. And it still has a $335 billion market cap. No yields 3%. Um, but the, the business trajectory is not that sound. So I am absolutely not touching this till 110. And it's not a value to me until about $100 a share. So between 100 and 110, that's when I would start thinking about it. But now at 126, eh, I'm laying off of it. But still a good company. Needs to turn itself around in order to see the price turn around. Now, tomorrow's Invest Talk, this story. China's August exports are shrinking as U.S. tariffs take their bite. Weak exports are adding pressure to China's already slowing economy, and this points to an increased need for its policymakers to increase stimulus measures, and they have been doing that. So that story tomorrow, Steve will get to it. I'm Justin Klein, and I invite you I invite your finance and investing questions now at 888 chart This is InvestTalk, made possible by KPP Financial where principals and InvestTalk hosts, Steve Peasley and Justin Klein, are independent financial advisors. For clients, they are fiduciaries. Steve and Justin have a duty and a commitment to always place the interests of their clients ahead of the firm. This is different from the way many other organizations operate. And one way you can realize the benefit of an association with KPP Financial is to know that KPP practices parallel investing. This means that the personal investment accounts of KPP principals participate with client investments at equal prices and percentages. It's an important difference. You can learn more anytime at investtalk.com. At KPP Financial, we offer independent thinking with shared success. Here's a quick reminder, Steve Peasley's in-person portfolio review consultations for New York City in September are fully booked. But Steve will return to New York on November 7th and San Jose October 10th. You can learn more and register now at investtalk.com. Steve and Justin are always ready with answers to your investment questions. Call now, 888-99-CHART. 8899 chart, 8899 We have 20 minutes or so left in the show, so I urge you to get your call in sooner rather than later. Now let's check in on some major news here in California, and that's a new fallout from the bankruptcy of California's largest utility company, PG&E, symbol is PCG, and they serve a large swath of Northern California and what's interesting is that the city, the city of San Francisco, has offered $2.5 billion to buy their electric lines serving the city. 
And this would be the first step of kind of separating PG&E and their services from the city of San Francisco. And clearly, the city of San Francisco does not have faith that PG&E can service their territory safely, right, with the fires and everything. And this would remove thousands of customers from PG&E, but it would give them an injection of capital, about $2.5 billion. However, they have about $30 billion in potential liability costs stemming from all of the wildfires over the last couple of years. So, you know, to me, I don't know if this is really going to save the company. It's certainly better than not having that offer, I think. But it's still a name I would try to avoid. But it's interesting to see that a city is looking to buy up this infrastructure. And I could see that happening more and more, especially when the faith in the utility companies that are serving that region uh, is lost. And that's clearly what's happened with PG&E. Let's go to Tim in Walnut Creek. He's looking at Meredith Corporation. Yeah, hey, Justin, I appreciate your show. Uh, this is a follow-up um, question. I asked you about this company back in, on Thursday. Uh, they had uh, announced their earnings, and they dipped really low at the time because they guided low. Um, and you asked mm-hmm. me whether why they guided lower, and I researched. Uh, and so they bought the Time magazine, and it doesn't seem like... Performing as they expected, and uh, so they needed to pump some money into it to make it a bit more profitable, and that's why they guided lower. And uh, now I got it. Uh, I was lucky, and I got it near a trough. And so now I'm up modestly. Um, and I, when I bought it, I bought it for a long term, to be honest with you. Um, but I wanted to get your opinion on whether they can manage their debt. Uh, and pay the dividend at the same time based on the future expected earnings, which I think were five to six, uh, high five per share. It's estimated for 2021. Mm-hmm. Well, their free cash flow last quarter was about 75 million. So you're talking about $300 million annually. Now, I'm sure that fluctuates some. Uh, so I, I would definitely see what that run rate is, uh, trailing 12 months. But, it has about $3 billion in debt, okay? So times interest earned is only about 2.5%. I like to see that closer to 5 right? So they, they clearly are, are, a lot of their cash flow, a lot of their earnings are being funneled into supporting the debt, paying down debt, and just putting themselves in better financial situations. So can they manage through it? Sure, but their their cash flow needs to stay positive, and the bond market needs to stay open to them uh, to refinance, right? So you know it's just a very risky play. That's what you have to understand. It's very risky for their type of business. It's very cyclical. It, it's you know magazine subscriptions are some of the first things people cancel in in uh, recessions. Uh, it's in a secular downtrend as more people you know turn to social media for reading, etc. And uh, in in, a, in an economic downturn, you have advertisers that pull their their advertising, and more and more of the advertising is going online. Which I know they have some presence, but clearly it's going away from print magazines. So. 
there's a lot of headwinds that this company is dealing with that they're clearly having trouble with today. Now, will they be able to fight off a, a handful of them long term? Maybe. But will they be able to fight off all of them, innovate, change directions, as well as support the dividend and the debt at the same time? That's a tough feat. That's a very risky endeavor. And so if you're looking at this name uh, long term, you have to understand those risks. This is absolutely a name that could be bankrupt in three years. Absolutely. I don't know what their debt schedule looks like. I'd have to dig deeper. But... That dividend is not safe in any sense of the word. Its payout ratio is 350%. Its cash dividend payout ratio is 81%. So it's pushing up against those limits of what cash flow is supporting. And the first thing they're going to do if they can't pay their debt or having trouble with it, they're going to slash that dividend either in half or eliminate it uh, entirely. So you're just playing uh, with, with fire here. Now, that fire can turn into fireworks. And you could, it could go back to $70 or $80 a share like it has been. And you're feeling great about yourself and collecting a dividend along the way because management did the right thing and they made the right changes. Or it can turn into a firecracker in your hand and blow your hand off and goes bankrupt and you lose everything you put into it. So that's, to me, this is a binary situation. It's either going to manage through this and you're going to earn a ton or it's going to go bankrupt and you're going to lose it all. But I would, if, I would, I would be like, I would say this: have an out. What is that? Is it ten percent? Is it fifteen percent? Is it twenty-five percent? Whatever that is, and it could be technical as well. And I'll tell you what my technical out would be. My technical out would be thirty dollars a share. If it breaks thirty on a weekly basis, weekly close, I am out of this stock. If and no ifs, ands, or buts about it, I'm done with it. It's high risk, but anything high risk, you have to have your out. Does that make sense, Tim? Thanks for the call. Now, my main talking point to con- concerns the story. President Trump has a plan to overhaul the housing finance system with more private sector involvement. And what he's, what I'm referring to here is Fannie and Freddie and the Treasury Department and the Department of Housing and Urban Development, HUD, in coordination, each released plans Thursday detailing how much the two agencies believe housing finance system should be reformed. Now, the Treasury's plan includes 49 recommendations, basically ending the conservatorship of Fannie and Freddie, while still guaranteeing support for single and multifamily lending and affording affordable housing initiatives. The HUD plan is all about refocusing the Federal Housing Administration mission and ensuring that the tools are in place to manage risk appropriately. So HUD and what what the program's designed to help low-income people, poor people get housing has morphed throughout the years into something that takes more risk, that expands to more of the middle class who still have a place to live if they didn't buy a house. And so it's deviated from its ethos too far, basically what it's saying, and taken on more risk and not helped, not focused on helping the people that it really needs to help. Okay. So 
this legislation could achieve some big structural reform that changes the way the government supports the secondary market for mortgages. And it could also repeal the GSE's Congressional Charter, right? And make it more of a private entity that has to pay for government guarantees. Okay, so this is definitely a large overhaul and I think it's better. It's better for the financial system. Now, will it make borrowing to buy a home a little bit harder, maybe a little more costly? Yes, I think it will. But I also think it is better for the system. Go back to uh, the book Anti-Fragile and talks about this. Talks about any system that doesn't have volatility in it, doesn't feel the risk ever or very often, often becomes too complacent and there are developments that happen throughout the years that make the system vulnerable to shocks, unforeseen shocks. And that's kind of what the financial crisis was all about, right? We had Fannie and Freddie underwriting mortgages with the backing of the government, and that's what it was all about. They didn't, nobody cared about the risk. Nobody cared whether there were no-doc mortgages. It was all about getting that transaction closed. And there were incentives on all sides, from the lender to the broker and to the individual who thought they were going to make tons of money and finance their retirement with the equity in their home that was going to grow 15, 20% per year. Because guess what? That's what it did over the last two, three years, you know, from 2003 to 2005. And everyone thought that party was on and it was going to go forever. And as we know, it did not. So this is a very healthy development, I think. And it should be applauded. And it's been something, it's not, it's not something new. It's not something that hasn't been talked about for a long time. This has been discussed in the Obama administration, now with the Trump administration. It's just what does that structure look like? And it's likely going to last. This process is going to last through the Trump presidency, either this term or maybe if he has another term. So it's going to be more of a long term plan, but I think it's healthier for our housing market long-term, our financial system long-term, and frankly, our economy long-term, because our economy should not be driven by housing affordability, housing prices changes, etc. It should be more diversified and less reliant on that. Now, I'm Justin Klein. You're listening to Invest Talk, and obviously, you understand the importance of unbiased guidance and experienced market analysis. That's why you're here. So I encourage you to subscribe to our KPP Premium Newsletter. It's written and distributed every Friday straight to your email box. Now, in this newsletter, you get valuable information about the week's moves, market analysis, portfolio management guidance, and stock ideas as well. Once again, it comes into your email box each Friday. And on Best Talk, Steve shares highlights of the KPP Premium Newsletter as well. You can subscribe anytime at investtalk.com. And now I'm ready to take your questions live right now at 888-99-CHART. 
This is Invest Talk, made possible by KPP Financial. For serious investors interested in improving their ability to build financial freedom, we have an important invitation to a new KPP Wealth Management Conference. Earning yield in a no-yield world. Investing in real estate, stocks, and bonds. Speakers will include InvestTalk hosts Steve Peasley and Justin Klein, and they'll be joined by real estate experts and a trust attorney. The October 12th conference in Irvine, California, will cover these topics. Understanding real estate investing, from buy and hold to vacation rentals and land banking. How the trade war and economic trends will affect stocks and bonds. Ways to increase your income potential and defer taxes using trusts. And a lot more. Seating is limited to 50 attendees. Sign up early to get reduced pricing. Tell your friends the newest KPP Financial Wealth Management Conference is set for October 12th. Learn more and sign up now at investtalk.com. The phone lines are open and Steve and Justin welcome your questions. 888-99-CHART. Hey, Stephen Justin. This is Riley McCormick calling from Silver Shirt, Maryland. I'm a new college student. I had some extra money laying around. I was just wondering what to do with it. I was thinking probably a combination of putting more money into individual stocks, some into short-term bonds, maybe three or four years. So I get it out once I'm out of college and then starting a uh, Vanguard account and buying ETFs or mutual funds such as the Vanguard Total Market or S&P 500. I'd love to hear what you all say. I love the show. Appreciate it. Well, from a long-term perspective, I do think we are in the process of a broadening top in equity markets, and we have been that in that situation globally. If you look at the all-world index, we haven't even come close to the highs that we saw in early 2018. And so we're in a bear market, and that bear market can last for, bear markets can happen over time and just kind of march sideways and consolidate all of the gains for years at a time until they explode higher. Or you can have a bear market like you saw in 08 or 2001 to 2003. It can happen a lot of different ways. I think it's going to be more like 2000, 2003, focused on the tech sector. You kind of saw that uh, today. I think possibly the start of that. So, But if you are looking to put some more money away, you have to be judicious, I think, in which indexes you play. I think we're in an index bubble. I would be putting in individual stocks. And individual stocks you trust, you know, that are at least a decent value. They don't need to be bargain basement. You're really not going to find great bargain basement values in this market. They're few and far between. But companies that you trust long-term pays a dividend and our reasonable valuations. And that's the way I would go, not do VTI. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal here, and that's to help you achieve financial freedom. We're going into our last segment. So if you're going to call, you need to do it right now at 888-99-CHART. On the next Invest Talk, China's August exports are down as U.S. tariffs take their bite. That story tomorrow. But now Justin Klein is here, ready with answers, and he's waiting for your questions. 888 99 Chart. 
Now we are in the midst of a trade war, as we all know, and starting at the beginning of this month, a 15% tax was applied to many Chinese imports into the United States, and there's more slated to take effect around the end of the year, and China has retaliated with some tariffs of their own. And the big question is, which states are going to be hurt the most? Now, California in aggregate is going to be hurt the most. Why? Because we have the largest economy, we are on the west coast, closest to China, pretty much, and so about 13, we're going to take about $13.4 billion hit, the largest in America. But as a percentage of our total economy, it's relatively low, only about 6%. But which state is going to be hit the most in relation to their overall economy? That's actually going to be Louisiana, shockingly. They are heavily dependent on exports, their, their economy is. So clearly their exports are going to be a lot more uh, affected and impacted by the, by the tariffs. Also Washington State at about 14%. North Dakota at about 14% as well. Texas at about 13%. And so it's pretty interesting to see which states are going to be hurt the most. Uh, and it, it mainly are the export-driven states here in California, we have some exports, but it's not a giant part of, of our business, of, of our economy, right? Silicon Valley tends to be, and it's not, you're exporting software, not goods, uh, and therefore uh, it's, it's really not going to be hurt nearly as bad because most of the tech gadgets are produced overseas. So that was pretty interesting to see which states are going to be or are being hurt the most because of the trade war. Lastly, I want to get to a quick story. This is from Redfin, and it was about which areas of the country, from a real estate perspective, are more susceptible to downturns. And I really like their analysis because it measures seven different aspects of housing market to figure out which ones are the most risky. First is median home sales price to household income. So the higher that is, the more inflated those prices are. Next, average loan to value. So how much equity do homeowners have in that particular region? Next, home price volatility. So standard deviation of home prices year to year. How much does that tend to move? Next, share of home sales that are flipped. So you know these are homes that are bought and sold within a 12-month period. And that typically... You know, th- those sellers tend to be more desperate, right, when the market goes down. Diversity of local employment, you know, how diverse are, are, is the economy of that region? So, you know, good, good example right now, I just talked about the trade war. Louisiana, I'm sure their housing market is getting hit pretty hard because it's so dependent on exports. Next, share of local economy dependent on exports. I guess that's a good example right there. And then share of local households headed by someone age 65 or older. Clearly, if you're older than 65, higher chance of death, higher chance that those houses go on the market, increasing the supply. Okay, so that's how they that's that's what they use as their process. And I think this was very very good. So which areas of the country are most at risk? Number one. Riverside, California. Riverside, California. Number two, Phoenix, Arizona. And number three, Miami. So they they measured 50 different markets. And I thought that was very, very interesting. And then that's followed by San Diego. And 
the most shocking was Providence, Rhode Island was fifth on this list. They don't have a lot of flips. That's not their big problem. But they don't have a lot of equity. Average home uh, loan to value is 70%, the highest they have of any region. And that's really the big issue there. Not a lot of equity in those homes. The least risky markets, Rochester, New York, Buffalo, New York, and Hartford, Connecticut. So the Midwest, Northeast in general, outside of outside of uh, Rhode Island, were very, very low risk. And I'm sure a lot of my listeners in the Bay Area, because that's where our radio station broadcasts, probably wondering where they stand. San Francisco is 15th on this list. So definitely on the upper side of the risk spectrum. But San Jose was 35th. So on the lower side of the risk spectrum, I thought that was... Oh, sorry. Flip that. San Francisco on the lower side of the risk spectrum. San Jose on the higher end of the risk spectrum. And I think a lot of that has to do with the volatility of incomes from the tech sector. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. I thank you for your loyal supporting questions. I return on Thursday. Please come back tomorrow. Steve Peasley will be here to answer your questions. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, Call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART.